probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute Podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is... Zachary T. Owen, indie horror author. Thanks for coming back. You made it back. Oh, no problem. <laughs> so um, today we're talking about uh, Minute 102 of The Thing which uh, begins with Childs nodding and ends with uh, a wide shot of the outpost burning. So um, this is our, our last kind of full scene of the movie. Tomorrow's Minute has just a, just a couple seconds of, of shots before we move into the trailer or the uh, credits. But um, yeah, so this is the end of the movie definitively in, in this minute. So basically what plays out in this minute is there's only a couple lines of dialogue. Childs uh, says, uh, well, what do we do? And Max says, why don't we just wait here for a little while and, and see what happens? And that's the the final line of the movie, which is an, one of my all-time favorite last lines for sure. Yeah, I I think um, – I mean I haven't thought too much about it, but I would probably have to echo your sentiment. Uh, certainly I, I always – when I watch the movie, that line, I always think about it for a little bit after the movie ends. Yeah, and it's – Again, but both of the uh, both of the characters here, the way they perform their these these last two lines are just so like exhausted and like I don't like it's interesting because you could you could make an argument that they either that they either don't care what's going to happen or they're just literally just too you know too exhausted too close to freezing to death that they can't even they can't even you know bring up any kind of motivation to do anything about it. <laughs> they're just yeah they're beyond that at this point. Yeah, which is interesting because it's almost like uh, I didn't think about it before, but I wonder if there's something in there about, you know, that this kind of like distrustful human nature and paranoia. The only way to beat it is to like, you know, push yourself almost to the point of death. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that uh, that seems like a pretty grim outlook. (laughs) I mean, maybe there's some uh, something to that. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, a couple, a couple bits of, uh, of trivia about the, the ending here that, um, so first looking back at the script where the scene is pretty similar in the script, uh, basically the same idea, but the, basically the, the only thing that's different is the dialogue. So, um, instead of the whole, uh, why don't we just wait here a while and see what happens? What happens in the script is, um, after they kind of decide that there's nothing they can do, uh, Mac asks Childs, uh, do you play chess? And Childs says, uh, he sits down and says, I guess I'll be learning. And that's the way the the movie ends in the script. Huh. That that's interesting. It sort of brings it back to the beginning of the film, obviously with McCready playing chess. Mm-hmm. But maybe it was a bit too hopeful of a note. I don't know because it seems like if they have time to learn to play chess, it kind <laughs> of uh, it takes away some of the tone of how grim it is. Though I mean, certainly just because they were doing that wouldn't mean that oh yeah we're going to survive. But it's just, it just doesn't end on quite the same note. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's a really interesting ending. And from a script standpoint, that seems like uh, a perfect end for a script, right. you know, because it does kind of bring it full circle back to the beginning. And, and you know, it does kind of thematically tie the whole film together as like this, get, you know, game of chess where everybody's kind of trying to figure out everybody else's moves and what they're thinking about. Um, so yeah, that's th- a pretty apt metaphor, actually, for the movie. Yeah. So I can see why they may have intended that originally, but, it, you know... It just doesn't – I don't think it would play out the same on yeah. film. Yeah, I think thematically it's really interesting and maybe – and thematically maybe even works better than the ending we have. But from a, a mood kind of standpoint, it definitely doesn't give the same you know, feel to it. That, that Yeah, I don't know why, but you're right. It definitely – that would feel a little bit more hopeful or optimistic in some way. Um, just playing a game, I guess, in general. It seems like these guys are too – <laughs> too close to dying to even want to play a game i guess and you know what i think it it would uh seem a little more optimistic but in a weird way i feel like it would be giving the audience uh a little bit what they want because so many people initially you know that didn't like the movie or didn't like the ending they wanted something more maybe optimistic or at least conclusive uh i feel like it, it probably would have made them angrier <laughs> it's such a <laughs> Strange note, like, well, you know, we might be learning how to play chess, and then it ends. <laughs> yeah, true. I don't think it would have changed anybody's mind who already didn't like the ending. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I like the So that's the last line of dialogue in the script, and then there's a, a line of narration that just says, um, the fires smolder on, bright embers dance in the blackness, pushed by the suffering wind. And that's that's the way that, the, uh, that Bill Lancaster's script ends the movie, which... I can just imagine him, you know, typing those last words in there and being, being done with it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's it's a pretty nice ending, and it, it is pretty damn similar to what we have, just kind of in a slightly different way, I guess. So, um, you know, there are a lot of major changes to the script in this movie, um, but uh, yeah, the ending is one place where it's. I was surprised to learn how just how close it actually was to the script. Um, you know, given that that's one of the most, you know, kind of infamous parts of the movie for sure. It, I was surprised that that was so close. Um, so uh, as far as alternate versions go too, uh, there was an alternate ending that was even shot um, basically at behest of the studio and uh, and Todd Ramsey, who is the editor uh, in one of the behind the scenes videos, he says that, you know, because Carpenter was having such pro- such a such trouble with the studio, he... Uh, encouraged John Carpenter to just go ahead and just shoot this alternate ending just to make them happy, but that they wouldn't, you know, he agreed that they wouldn't use it because he liked the ending that was there too. But the alternate ending is, uh, has, uh, McCready giving himself a blood test so that, uh, you know, and I, and I think it, it comes back conclusively that he's human. And I think, right. there, I think it's like, I've seen, there's a, the only like surviving thing that I've ever seen of it. There's no footage of it left. Like, I don't know if John Carpenter burned it or whatever. Um, <laughs> But uh, there, he the, said, the hell with this. Yeah, <laughs> the only thing I've seen is uh, there's like a one screenshot, uh, or not screenshot, but one you know frame of the movie or, or still of it that survives, and it's it's really odd looking. It's it looks like he's in a building somewhere, like, and it doesn't look like it's half burned down. So, well, actually, um, that reminds me of uh, there. There were some scenes that John Carpenter himself shot for Halloween Two for the TV version. Hmm. Because oh, apparently yeah. it wasn't long enough, or something of that of that type of uh, like that type of situation, it wasn't long enough for uh, a movie that's supposed to be interrupted with a commercial so long, and it has to fill out a block of time. So they needed to 
do some additional scenes. So he shot some himself with some of the actresses. And I guess since it was, you know, so long after the movie had been done, they had to use like wigs and the set was different and it just, it didn't, it didn't really fit or look right. Now, obviously he filmed this other ending of the thing when they were still making the movie, but who knows how far along or, you know, what was going on on the set. Maybe they didn't have the resources available that they had when they were filming the ending we do have. Well, yeah. And I I would assume, you know, uh, since they already had the actual ending that we see here that was already filmed because the studios didn't, the studio didn't like it. I would assume that means they already blew up the set (laughs) because those explosions actually are the actual set that they blew up. So, you know, they didn't really have a set left to shoot it on. So maybe that's why. They would have had to have improvised something. Yeah. But it's really weird. It's very like, it looks like an old Metallica music video or something that the still that I've seen, because it's like, (laughs) it looks like he's in like a hospital waiting room almost. And it's like very blue and foggy looking. And, um, and yeah, it, he's just sitting there. So I think the idea is that he takes a blood test and is, you know, he's in the clear. And then maybe you see like a helicopter landing outside or something like that, like a rescue team has, has survived or has come to get him. It would be really funny if the uh, waiting room was just a, a set that was also used to shoot the additional scenes for Halloween, too. <laughs> yeah, really. It totally could have been, right? That's really funny. It's not impossible. I don't know enough information to confirm, but. And I, that that came out right around the same time as this, right? I think so. I mean, he only he did like the screenplay for that and was a producer and I was surprised to know that he did, you know, film a few scenes for the TV version, which has its defenders, but his uh stance was, you know, the TV version I just we needed to do this to get it on TV and all the scenes I shot for it really dumb and don't really add anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is something, one of the things I kind of admire about Carpenter, like um, comparing him to like some of the other kind of his contemporaries, I guess these other horror directors, he's like, you know, he definitely cares about his art a lot and has very strong opinions about what he should do. But he's also like a very um, smart kind of, not I don't want to say businessman, but like he, uh, I'm thinking back to that that video. Um, I think it's on the video drum. Uh, yeah, uh, Blu-ray. fear on film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he, where the other guys, uh, Landis and Cronenberg, are both talking about how, like, you know, the studios want me to do this, and I was like, "Fuck you!" Like, I'm not changing that. And then they're <laughs> like, uh, uh, they ask a carpenter, like, "Have you ever made changes?" He's like, "Oh yeah, we we do that all the time." <laughs> He's like yeah, very practical. Uh, I think you hit the the nail on the head there. I remember watching uh, some features on Dark Star. And that was his his first feature length film, mm-hmm. and he had to work with like this old like uh, film distributor or somebody in the biz who had uh, I think maybe had originally acquired the Blob or something. And Dan O'Bannon was uh, Carpenter's creative partner on Dark Star, and I guess Dan O'Bannon hated this guy, and John Carpenter didn't like him either. But he said, you know, I understood. This is who we have to work with. He's worked in movies, and you know I might not be in love with everything he has to say, but this is business, and I need to work with him. So he yeah. just kind of sucked it up, and he got along with him. And I think that you know that's another example of him being mindful of business, and he just he doesn't take it personally. He just sees it as kind of a necessary evil. Yeah. No, and it yeah, and it's that is kind of an interesting thing too, because you can look at the two of them, um, Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon. Um, I think I brought it. I might have even brought it up in our, our minutes way back at the beginning that uh, that book, Shock Value, a big part. You know, it's all about kind of the early 
eighties uh, horror filmmakers and things, but it really kind of focuses in a lot on Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon as kind of like these alternate figures in the whole thing. And that they both were like incredibly brilliant and had a huge impact on, on horror cinema. But Dan O'Bannon was much more like he, like you said, he kind of took everything much more personally and was much more like opinionated and, and didn't handle yeah. the business side. I don't of it very think well. he could. Yeah. He couldn't accept changes that he didn't want to make. And, you know, he was, to use something that writers hear that, you know, they say you have to kill your darlings right? to kind of come out with a book or an end product that's really good. You can't hang on to anything, but I don't think he wanted to kill his darlings. I, I think they meant too much to him. But Carpenter was like, well, fuck it. I'll kill my darlings. I don't care. <laughs> whatever yeah. it takes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, Not whatever it he takes. he was never upset, but – yeah, yeah. I mean, this, the, he's talked about how the reception of this movie upset him, you know, that people obviously took it in a very different way than he expected them to take it um, as just kind of a, you know, the pornographer of violence thing, I think, was the one he brings yeah. up a lot that really bothered him. But, but you know, granted, as much as that upset him, um, he made another movie like, you know, uh, st- uh, I think, I think, is it Christine that's next? Or I think Christine comes before Starman. I believe so, which... Um... If you ever get a chance, you know, there's a, some interesting discussion on that film and he, how it, it was kind of a movie he made just for the money and it was more of a commercial endeavor. But looking back on it, he said he's actually very proud of it. Yeah, I think it's a great movie. Um, I do, too. I think it's very underrated. Yeah, it's one of the ones that uh, one of the Carpenter movies that I saw much later than than some of the others. And I really, really enjoyed it a lot. Um, I think it's it's probably a little too long is probably yeah, the only I, problem. Yeah, I would agree with you, actually. But it's a that's a great movie. But yeah, I mean, that's what I mean, is he, you know, even though he was very disappointed and this movie was a major bomb, critically and commercially, um, you know, he continued to make, you know, this <laughs> this was like still pretty early in his career. He made a ton of movies after this and, and stuff immediately after this, you know, with Christine and, and he Starman. He bounced back a lot. I mean, he had, his career kind of is split into really big successes and really big flops, at least, you know, commercially and financially, because uh, Big Trouble in Little China didn't do that well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think They Live just did moderately okay, like it wasn't uh, breaking the box office numbers or anything. Um, the Fog, I know, basically for him was disappointing when it came out, but then he had movies like Escape from New York and Christine and Halloween, which were very successful and made him a lot of money. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Halloween was the most uh, financially profitable movie of all time when it came out or something. Yeah, it, it something held some along title those like lines. That. Yeah. Uh, it, so. it certainly was um, kind of changed the game as far as movies that were uh, – I mean, it was independent. wasn't Halloween an independent film initially. Yeah, yeah so it was kind of a, a model of uh, how to make money and succeed with very little – yeah, where you didn't need like a gigantic budget to make a lot of money. You could make something really that, you know, was, well, <laughs> at least for the first movie, was a really interesting and innovative movie, um, uh, you know, on nothing, basically, and then still, you know, s- sell a lot of movie tickets. And certainly the only movie to use William Shatner's face as the villain. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very true. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe William Shatner played a villain, but that mask—it's <laughs> so, it's so bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you, you could say in some of those old Star Trek episodes, there are definitely some, uh, some evil, evil versions of uh, of Captain Kirk that might uh, <laughs> might take 
take argument with you there, but (laughs) (laughs) um, so uh, yeah, I guess we we mentioned that uh, Kurt Russell thinks that the, the breath thing is, uh, is nonsense. And (laughs) I do think that uh, I like that Keith David still, you know, he says that that's one of the first things fans always ask him is what he thinks happened in the end of the movie. I think, from most of the the things I've seen him talk about it, he he says he thinks that his character was not the thing, but you know, that's that's uh that's his opinion, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he probably wouldn't want to think his character was right. The thing. <laughs> um, but I mean, I don't know where I stand. I I feel like it's kind of counterintuitive for me to believe that either one of them is definitively okay. This person is the, is the thing, or that either of them is and it's for me that's the whole that's the whole thing about the ending is I don't know and that's what I love about it yeah I mean I, I totally agree I mean I like to look at it as an ambiguous ending and, and like to and look at it you know kind of analytically as to what that means but um, you know if if I did if somebody did make me you know put a gun to my head and, and ask me I would I would probably guess I would say that uh, Childs is probably the thing just based on some some of the kind of more compelling fan theories like the jacket well, yeah, thing. Yeah, and we we don't see Childs all the time, but McCready is predominantly the main character, and we spend a lot of time with him. There aren't a lot of scenes, especially when everything gets going, you know, after the catalyst. We don't have a lot of uh, scenes where McCready is, is not present. Yeah. Um, I mean, early on, he he's kind of in and out, but once the wheels start going, he, he's... Uh, very much a fixture yeah well and the other thing too really if that's the thing is like if you start digging into fan theories and you're really willing to like look at the movie in like excruciating detail you know why would why would anybody want to do that says the guy who's been podcasting on every minute of this movie (laughs) um uh if you're doing that then you also really somebody pointed out earlier that like you know, the thing is a, is a organism that can survive, you know, if a single cell of it survives, then it can, you know, still, you know, survive on its own and take over another host or whatever, then, you know, it's pretty unlikely that they've really even beaten the the monster, you know, just by blowing up the base. Like all it would take is, you know, a single drop of blood somewhere that Blair left right. to, to escape or something, you know, and we didn't see Blair it, for it, so long, like, uh, you know. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, I, before it gets away from me, the one thing, too, I've always wondered about is, is it possible to be infected by the thing and it's slowly consuming your body and you aren't even aware? Because it seems like in some cases people are just the thing and they're hiding. But in right. the case of um, – oh, what was his Norris. name? Yeah. It seemed like he was in pain and like not aware that something was wrong. And it, So to me, it, that character – may have been infected or it got into him and it was kind of consuming him from the inside out and he he was still partly human and then there was a transition that happened because he he certainly didn't seem to be in hiding or malevolent whereas um in other scenes we have someone who more clearly is trying not to be figured out yeah like palmer kind of a trickster yeah exactly yeah i I definitely agree i think it could be either way yeah and I, i like that the movie doesn't really define those rules really you know it's still pretty vague but um, but it definitely seems like there are two different ways to get taken over. Which so yeah, I mean, that's the thing too that I, I always think about too is like even with the blood test, like the just the fact that they were in the clear then doesn't mean that they weren't partially infected and you know that it just hadn't registered yet or whatever. Like especially given that uh, we joked around a lot that in the blood test scene that Windows 
just wipes the damn scalpel off on his pants in between cutting everybody. <laughs> like, so if anybody, yeah, so after he cut really Palmer, <laughs> so after he cut Palmer, pretty much everybody else got infected after that. You know, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so yeah, that's the I thing. I never is, thought of that. If, if you want to look at the movie like super closely and analytically from that perspective, then it's hard to really deny that they're not all infected at this point, and that you know, there's no way. Like, short of blowing up the entire planet, there's virtually no way they could defeat the thing, like, definitively. Um, so, yeah. So, any, anytime, you know, I start leaning into any of the fan theories, I always have to think about that. Like, yeah, if I'm going to go that route, you know, <laughs> this only yeah, ends poorly. it's all or nothing, really. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. I need flares, a parka, kerosene, dog food. Wow, who knew moving to an Antarctic base would be so expensive? And I haven't even started looking for roller skates and giant hats yet. It's a good thing I'm using Amazon so I can get the best price and get this stuff fast. And since I'm using thethingminute.com slash Amazon, a small portion of my purchase goes to help The Thing Minute to help support the podcast. Now if I can just get some of the listeners to use thethingminute.com slash Amazon, I might just be able to afford that flamethrower. So what exactly is this theory again? It has something to do with um, McCready is drinking gas and he gives yes. it to Childs without so, him knowing as like a test. Yeah. So this is the, I, I, I think this theory is pretty interesting. It's pretty fun that, um, so in this minute, uh, towards the end, right after, uh, you know, he says, let's just wait a while. He hands Childs a bottle and then Childs takes a drink of it. And right as Childs takes a drink, uh, the main theme kicks back in and McCready starts kind of laughing at him. Yeah. Um, so uh, a lot of people have said that this means that um, and I, there was even somebody in the it, I can't remember one of the actors or, or maybe Carpenter has brought it up as maybe just something he kind of one of the theories he liked, I guess. But yeah, that, that isn't a bottle of alcohol, that it's a it's a Molotov cocktail full of gasoline or kerosene or whatever. And that the fact that Childs drinks it and doesn't react means that he's not human just because he didn't know how to, you know, the thing wouldn't know that that was that something was wrong with that. Which, you know, there's it's it's not something you can prove one way or the other because you don't see where that bottle came from or anything right. like that. And even in a, a few minutes back, I, we were talking about it, uh, McCready himself looks like he's about to take a swig from a bottle. I don't know if it's the same bottle or not. but It would be really funny if that's how committed he was, that he would just drink <laughs> gas. <laughs> McCready's a method actor. <laughs> uh, which I was thinking about, um, I mean... If Carpenter has backed this theory up at all, I guess that would it might persuade me a little uh, to take it a little more seriously. I've always thought it was kind of silly. Certainly, I you know I think it's admirable that somebody even came up with this. It's uh, not as crazy as some of the fan theories I've heard about other things, like everyone in SpongeBob is dead and in hell or whatever it is. But I remember watching the audio commentary for Carpenter's Masters of Horror episode, Cigarette Burns, Mm. and he was talking about – I mean at that point in his career, he didn't use storyboards anymore. Uh, But he was saying you know, if you need the audience to understand something that uh, is important and you know something more concrete, you need to show it to them. And basically this character was threatening another character – and he has a close-up shot of him opening his coat, and there's a gun in there because he thought that the audience wouldn't um, be able to realize that this guy's threat was that serious unless he showed them something. So I always, you know, I, obviously this the thing's a lot different 
as as far as these uh, Carpenter movies go, but um, and it's more ambiguous. But I always thought if there was anything substantial to this theory of of the gas drinking, that we would have something to go off of or yeah. some kind of shot um, that would at least make it plausible. Whereas as it is now, it's a little bit bizarre. Like I, how would I don't know how he would even come up with that. Like to think, okay, well, if I get him to drink some gas, but uh, <laughs> I just feel like if Carpenter wanted us to think that or consider it, he he might have added in another shot of some kind. Yeah, well, and especially considering that, like, you know, going through this movie the way I have with the podcast, one of the things I've kind of discovered about it is just how much Carpenter does not uh, have faith that the audience will understand what's going on. <laughs> Um, there are a lot it doesn't of, seem like he's wrong. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. But, um, yeah, there are a lot of the like major changes that he made to the script and scenes that he added in and shot later, like the whole Bennings thing, Bennings getting taken over and showing that as him, like being half taken over that entire scene was added in and is, is nowhere in the script just because Carpenter was like, I don't think people will get the, the idea that, you know, the monster is not a creature that it's taking over people that, right. you know, so he wanted to show a, a person that was like halfway in, in the middle of the transformation. Um, and, and same with, uh, McCready, uh, talking by the fire about like, you know, I know some of you are still human or else you'd all just come at me. And then McCready recording into the tape recorder. Like there's a lot of places in this movie where McCready is just basically explaining the situation again, just in case you hadn't kind of figured it out on your own. Um, so yeah, Carpenter definitely, that, I, that, that definitely kind of, you know, takes away some of the credence of, of fan theories and, and, you know, especially one like this where like, I think you're right. If he had wanted this to be like the definitive answer, then, you know, and it's funny because I think this, it, this theory works absolutely perfectly. If there was like, if there was one shot of like McCready pulling a rag out of that bottle yeah, before anything. this or something, or even if there were just bottles of gas nearby like, yeah like, like it doesn't even have to be explicit yeah just like something visually to kind of clue you into that because the way that it, the scene plays out the way that the the timing of the music coming in and mccready laughing like all that works very well plays into the theory very well but before that there's nothing to suggest that that's what's going on like you know there's nothing that or like a line of dialogue earlier where somebody talks about you know the thing wouldn't know the difference between a bottle of Heineken and a bottle of, you know, <laughs> it's like, that would be a great line. <laughs> yeah. Somebody, somebody um, needs to dub that in somewhere. <laughs> I always thought that, you know, he was probably laughing at the absurdity of the situation that they're in. I mean, McCready is looking at it like, you know, we're, we're basically screwed. Um, this other guy could be the thing. I don't know. Uh, you know, we're going to freeze to death and what else could he do? But laugh. I mean, because it, it's kind of a way of uh, compartmentalizing or dealing with the situation uh, is to just laugh at how stupid it is and how, you know, it's kind of like the only answer. It's it's the same thing as when comedians joke about things that are very uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, it's like a coping mechanism, I think. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, to think about it from like, you know, the the perspective of McCready's arc as a character, too, is like he starts the movie as somebody who kind of s seems like he doesn't really care about what's going on at the outpost. 
you know, he doesn't really want to fly over to the Norwegian camp. And he kind of jokes around even when they get there, the whole like, hey, Sweden or Swedes. And and then, you know, later, even after some stuff has gone down, they find the the weird, you know, double faced body and stuff. Even then he's like, uh, you know, he says, I just want to go back to my shack and get drunk. Like he just (laughs) he has no care for the rest of these guys or or humanity in at large. It doesn't seem like. Um, But yeah, here at the ending, you know, Either he, I don't know. It's interesting because I think you know throughout the movie that that's kind of his arc is that he eventually does kind of get forced into caring and becoming yeah, I, like the leader. I think he definitely is forced. It's like a begrudging thing, like to him. It, it, I think like he probably doesn't really view it as a choice. It's just the thing that you need to do, right? Which is a very John Carpenter leading man character thing to do. A lot of his characters are like that. Like I just have to get it done because it has to be done, um, and. uh yeah, that's it's interesting because then yeah, in this very last scene, it almost feels like he's given up. Like he, you know, like he tried his best to to be the hero and to to save save the rest of the outpost and save humanity uh, from from being infected. But then you know, in the ending, it's all kind of futile, and so he just kind of has to laugh at it. <laughs> yeah, which is depressing, but a, 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 a perfect ending for the. What character. are you talking about? That's that's really hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. This movie's uh, is uh, designated as a comedy on IMDb. I don't, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty perfect ending. And yeah, the the gas theory or not, I think uh, I do love the timing of how everything kind of plays out in these last shots. Um, you know, they're just kind of drinking drinking to their last, and you know, and the way the theme kind of kicks back in is is perfect. It, it, every time I watch the movie, it kind of gives me chills a little bit. Yeah, I uh, I think if this wasn't the ending of the movie, it probably wouldn't be one of my favorite horror movies. Certainly, I would still be a fan. I mean, the special effects are great. It has good cast. I love Carpenter, but this ending really nails it down for me. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That, like, yeah, there are a lot of things that I, I really, really love about the movie. Um, you know, it's super well shot. The I love the... You know the whole the performances of the whole cast are really good. It's a great you know ensemble cast. Um, Kurt Russell by himself is amazing in this, and the lighting is really great. I like the music. I like the sound. You know, there's a lot of things I love about the movie. But I think I think you're right. Without this ending, it's it's um, it's just a really cool horror movie, um, but not like you know the kind of the masterpiece as it's regarded in in you know a lot of circles now for sure. I'm trying to think. I, the only other thing I had. Was that um yeah I, I don't know if we we finished talking about the that alternate scene that they did shoot but um they you know obviously the whole point of kind of shooting an alternate ending would be to like test that because they did do test screenings of the movie right where it did pretty badly <laughs> the, um, yeah the fog went through a similar process um where it was rescripted and different things were shot and it didn't do that well through the test screening. Yeah, well, and that, I guess the test screenings dictated some changes that actually made it into the final movie for that, right? Yeah, I think it was too abstract because Carpenter wanted the fog. I mean, I I don't remember if we talked about this when I I was on before, but he wanted the fog itself to be the villain and people just disappeared. And it was kind of uh, the antithesis of, okay, there's these ghosts or creatures after us. Yeah. But the audience just – they didn't get it it was far too abstract so he decided to put some more traditional stuff mixed in with the fog 
Uh, and, you know, the, he basically reshot the movie. It's radically different than his original vision. Uh, wow. And I, the thing, you know, went through some of that, I think. I mean, didn't it sort of resemble a slasher in some aspects at yeah. one point? Yeah, and I think that was – I think he made those chain, got rid of that stuff before they even got to the test screening phase because yeah. he realized it didn't really work with the, the rest of the movie. But yeah, I think that's this movie has a lot of changes both from the script and from kind of originally what was shot. They definitely went back and added and took out a lot of things that, that like dramatically affect kind of the how the movie plays out. Um, but yeah, it is interesting that the the fog that was um, immediately before this, you know, he he you know readily made a lot of those changes and radically changed the movie based on you know audience reaction. And this movie, the audience reaction was really strong, and he kind of you know refused to make that change which is interesting it seems like the thing is one of the movies that he kind of felt a little more a personal connection to maybe i'm not sure Um, yeah i mean it is interesting to note the differences between those two movies i mean maybe it's not impossible that he was still kind of uh fuming that he had to change the fog and he just you know this time he put his foot down and he said this is my vision the way i see it and this is what it needs to be yeah, that's definitely a possibility too. I think that would make sense also. But yeah, basically they shot that scene, but I don't know that anybody. I don't know if they even showed it to the studio or what. It was it never aired at any test screenings. So they never released it. You know, the footage is nowhere. No, nobody owns the footage as far as anybody knows. So yeah, it is interesting that it, all we have is uh, you know I think the editor Todd Ramsey and John Carpenter know about it and there's that one weird look weird ass looking still um, <laughs> i'll have to look that up yeah i'll post it with this episode I'll, I'll send it to you it's um it it really really reminds me of like the video for uh for metallica's one or something like that <laughs> it definitely well, looks uh, like that i don't know if you knew this but carpenter is a fan of metallica it doesn't surprise uh, me <laughs> well he purposely uh imitated I, I think it was Enter Sandman a little bit for uh, the theme of In the Mouth of Madness. Oh, totally. Like he, he, he had uh, called up some friends who played guitar and he said, hey, come over. I want to do this uh, theme for the movie. Can you make it sort of like uh, Enter Sandman? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I hadn't heard that, but that is not even remotely surprising. That song sounds <laughs> so much like that, like Enter Sandman. <laughs> That's really funny. But yeah, so yeah, this uh, – this final scene plays out between the two of them, and then we, we cut right before the end of this minute, we cut to a wide where we just see the the entire outpost on fire as the as the main theme plays. I think that's that's all the notes that I had for for this minute in particular. Do you have anything else you wanted to to bring up? Um, I don't think so. I mean I'll probably think of something like a week from now, but <laughs> that <laughs> seems to be the way my brain works. Yeah, that happens to all of us. <laughs> Cool. Well, yeah, I think that'll wrap up kind of the final scene of the movie here, and then we'll uh, we'll get into some credit stuff uh, tomorrow. So, yeah, that'll wrap up minute one hundred and two. But uh, don't forget, you can always check us out on Facebook and Twitter at the Thing Minute. So you can give us your theories. You know, let us know what you think about some of the fan theories with the breath or the gas or anything like that, and you know who you think is the thing or what what you think about the ending. This is definitely the the most. Uh, probably the easiest part to join in and have a conversation about because everybody seems to have an opinion about about the end of the movie so definitely join in there and uh, don't forget to come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minute Thanks for listening If you enjoyed the show please go to thethingminute.com There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing 
You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out. Harper signing out.